You are listening to Talking Images, the official podcast of icmforum.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Chris, and in today's topic, we will be discussing our public enemy number one, the scourge of cinephilia, Netflix. Oh, and streaming services anywhere. People, and I'm sure there are dozens, if not more, are concerned. Is Netflix turning people away from cinemas? That is to say, cinemas, the actual physical cinema buildings. And if so, is that bad, especially in a pandemic? Oh, and are their productions generally just bad, poor quality, shallow, and just lowering the quality of the medium in general? Is it, for instance, a waste for the larger names that are working on them to actually do that work? Is the products Netflix are creating destroying our souls? Is the shift in the paradigm where cinemas are becoming abandoned in favor of streaming destroying our souls? With me today to answer all of these hard-hitting existential questions are my two absolutely wonderful co-hosts, Mathieu and Saul. So let's just start with an easy or perhaps even accusatory question. Do you now or have you ever had a Netflix subscription? Uh, Hi, everyone. No, I've never been a member of the communist... uh, Wait, no, that wasn't the question, was it? Uh, I do have... (laughs) A Netflix accounts, and I've had one basically since they arrived in France. Hi, it's Sol from Australia. I do have a Netflix account, but I don't actually give them my credit card details and everything. I just buy Netflix vouchers oh. because sometimes I'll go for like months on end and there won't be anything interesting on Netflix. So sometimes I'll let my card expire or whatever because it goes for a few weeks without having to renew it. And um, sometimes I just won't watch Netflix for a few weeks until there's something else on that I want to see. And then I'll put the uh, gift card back in and reactivate the account. So I've got an account there, but I don't use it all the time throughout the year. All right, I've never actually heard of these vouchers. Let's let's get into that a little bit later. But uh, (laughs) I I guess uh, I can also reveal that I do indeed also have a Netflix account and and have had one on and off uh, for well over a decade. I mean, I had one during uh, my uh, university days and I I had one now since the pandemic. So there was like a decade-long gap in in between there as well where I didn't feel like I needed it. Um, But... Let's get into the, not necessarily the meat of it, but just uh, the more simpler question here. Do do you enjoy Netflix? Do you enjoy the service they provide? I mean, definitely. It's it's not just about the films, of course. I find that the TV shows on Netflix are generally what's more attractive about it. But they have been getting better, I think, with their offer in terms of cinema. And I mean, it's a streaming service that works pretty well. It's, it's, It's nice to be able to watch things legally. Uh, on the internet, um, yeah. was one of the main appeals of Netflix, etc., Amazon Prime and others. I mean, yeah, definitely, I enjoy it. To be honest, who doesn't uh, would be my question. Um, yeah, I guess I do generally enjoy Netflix. I was very uh, skeptical about it. So uh, when Chris said a decade, I'm like, well, I don't, don't know if it even existed in Australia for that long when um, I joined up. I joined up beginning of 2019. The only reason why I joined is I was given one of those vouchers. I was given a Netflix gift card for my birthday. 
And I'm like, okay, well, reluctantly, I thought, okay, well, look, I'll sign up or whatever. It'll give me a chance to see that Sundance Film Festival winner that um, hasn't been released outside of uh, Netflix. It gave me a chance to see Annihilation and some other Netflix originals. I thought, look, I'll just do it for a few months and see how it goes. But there was actually enough interesting out there that I guess I kept buying gift cards and renewing it every so often. The range there isn't that good, so I don't enjoy it as much as other streaming services. A lot of the films that they have there are films that I already own on DVD or Blu-ray because I've got 10,000 films in my collection. But I do enjoy it for some of the more Oscar buzz-type Netflix films, and I think we'll be getting to that later on in the podcast. It's so interesting that uh, you talked about how we didn't know they were around a decade ago because Netflix has technically, just technically, been around for 24 years now. They actually opened up their business in 1997. Now, just to be clear, this is not something I had in the back of my head. I had to Google it. But uh, uh, I did know that they were essentially a competitor of Blockbuster at first, literally just sending the films and series in the mail before they realized they could do streaming in 2007. But quite the evolution. Okay, I was aware of Netflix as sending DVDs in the mail because back on the classic uh, film board on IMDb before that exploded, people would talk about Netflix all the time, you know, renting things from Netflix and it's in the Netflix queue. And, yeah, I don't know when the streaming thing started, but I guess I only became really aware of it maybe five or six years ago, so maybe that's when it jumped to Australia. But, yeah, I was aware of Netflix as a company. Uh, it was just something that I was never able to access because Netflix, as sending DVDs in the mail, was never something in Australia that never existed. Yeah, and it seems a bit like an overkill too because, I mean, they were, at least everywhere in Norway, there were, you know, these VHS and DVD uh, rentals stores, if anything. In fact, my father used to used to own a VHS rental store back in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> so it wasn't really, it was quite easy to get access just through that. Though I guess Netflix maybe filled something else in, in the US. And yes, I guess I can chime in too. Yeah, I do actually uh, enjoy Netflix, though, like Matthias said, quite a bit for the TVs. I mean, it's great to just use it as a replacement for regular uh, TV and watch the shows because they do have uh, a lot of pretty solid shows. And uh, I think I use it far more to actually watch TV shows with my wife than watch movies, though I do, I do both. But just stepping away from our general enjoyment of Netflix just on their own uh, and going towards the topic at hand there, let's just do a quick straw poll to give uh, our listeners a sense of where we're coming from in terms of just how Netflix is affecting the industry and the world. So is Netflix good or bad? And, and just give me a one word answer, please. Does it really have to be one word answer? Because I've been okay, two fine, words. Fine. Two words are okay, fine. I, I just, okay, I was going to say it's a necessary evil. Ooh, Probably the best way of putting it. We'll, we'll go into that soon. Mathieu? I think like any technological change, it's neither good nor bad. It's just happening and there are consequences, both good and bad. <laughs> uh, I don't know, it's like, uh, uh, is electricity good or bad? I mean, mostly it's good, <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? It, it has consequences. Mm. It, it's not like it's going to, like streaming services in general, it's huge change. It's not like we can stop it, right? So I, I guess my question is, it's irrelevant whether it's good or bad. <laughs> Ooh, a moral relativist. I feel the same way, but Chris said that I could only say one or two words. <laughs> so I tried yes, to but I cheated. 
Yeah, both of you cheated. <laughs> the answer is cheating. <laughs> I, I, I'll cheat uh, too, then I'll say it's, it's uh, moderately good. I think the access is, is great. And I think that they are making it much, even essentially as a replacement for TV. I don't think that the replacement for TV is at all bad. I don't think uh, there, there were always TV movies. There were always TV shows uh, that were showing only on the small screen. Uh, so I, I really don't think it has much of a negative impact. Though like I can see some. So my next quick question, because we do want to not just talk about Netflix, but streaming in general as well. So stepping away from Netflix, is, which we may like because of the amazing products or which, whatever we think, uh, streaming in itself, is that good or bad? Uh, and that, that again is for the industry, for us, for seeing films in cinema, anything. Is streaming good or bad, and yes, you're allowed to cheat again. I guess, I mean, for the, from the consumer perspective, it's definitely good, right? Because as you mentioned, access is an important thing, especially if you're living in a small town, you're just not going to have access to a cinema that programs art house films, foreign films, or in the case of France and many, uh, many European countries and all over the world, uh, you also might get films dubbed instead of subbed, which Netflix helps with that. So from a consumer perspective, it's definitely a positive. From an industry perspective, it's certainly a change, a huge change, a revolution. And as with these things, you know, it's destroying as much as it's creating. So it's understandable that we have a lot of resistance to it. And certainly the cinema experience seems to be under threat, especially these days with COVID. But again, from a consumer perspective, it has to be mostly seen as positive. Yeah, I would say that streaming services are good. I was definitely very sceptical about it. Like I said, you know, it wasn't until the beginning of 2019 that I even had a Netflix account and I had no other, you know, signed up streaming service accounts. I mean, there were things that I would stream for are free on like some of the services that are available but not anything that I was too big on I was really proud of my DVD collection I guess I still am even if it's mostly collecting dust <laughs> uh yeah so streaming services I was never that big into and I was always very skeptical of it because I thought you know it all depends on your internet connection and what happens if your internet goes down and then suddenly you can't do it and all these advantages the DVD seem to have. But I guess just these days, I would much rather stream than buy the DVD, uh, unless it's super cheap, because there's just a big storage thing with DVDs and Blu-rays. They take up a lot of space. And if it's something which I know that I'm probably only going to want to ever see the one time, mm -hmm. it's much easier for me if I can just stream it, even if I'm streaming it as a rental. And yeah, these days, I'd say that I'm streaming about 90% of the stuff that I watch. Whereas if I went back around four or five years ago, probably 10% of what I was watching would be what I was watching online. So things have really changed for me. And yeah, I was very skeptical of it, but I think it is a change for the better. I think it's a better way of consuming films. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's also extremely convenient also, especially for rare and hard to find films. You don't have to find that DVD on the shelf. You don't have to go to that art house cinema that's 45 minutes away. You can actually just get it in your home. So, yeah, look, I'd say it's good. I know it's not great that it's 
impacting on cinemas as a whole but then you know i don't know maybe this is just the way that the film industry is meant to evolve i mean film has been changing ever since the beginning you know within the first few years of having feature films suddenly sound was introduced after sound less than 10 years later we had color introduced and just all these things have changed in the 1970s you get home video and you can actually own films of your own so yeah i think it's just part of the natural evolution i think it's interesting that you bring up dvds because To me, Netflix is not in competition with DVDs. At least that's not how I see it. Because DVDs or Blu-rays are all about owning the thing, which obviously Netflix doesn't let you. I really see it more as being in competition, like like we said, with both TV and and cinemas. Um, I think with TV, yeah, there is a bit of competition there because it's just like channel surfing. You get pretty much whatever you want. I think it gives TV a run for its money, which I don't think is a bad thing because I don't like all these broadcast deals that different stations make or whatever and you can't watch the golden globes in australia unless you have this um one particular uh, service so i don't mind that it's affecting our uh, tv it's not actually affecting cinema over here but we might get to that later on but yeah it seems like in a lot of countries films are being released on streaming services and cinemas at the same time and in australia Nobody has ever been willing to take that gamble. But before anything, I just want to say that don't uh, don't say anything too bad about two strip and hand painted color film because obviously they did have two strip in the twenties and it, even back to Malay they did hand color them. So people had seen colors. I just even though they weren't necessarily as realistic as when they got into a three strip and later. But just just on what you guys were saying, I think it, it's an interesting contrast there because how Netflix started out when I first got the subscription back in like two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. I think that like they didn't create anything themselves that came a lot later they were really just doing exactly the same thing they did with uh, DVDs online so at that point it really was a competitor for DVDs only like they didn't have their own TV shows uh, they maybe like they, they would get some older TV shows and would show them but they wouldn't even necessarily get the best deals for the new TV shows coming now like they would get that a year or two years later so they weren't in competition with anyone except DVDs which is interesting and now obviously that has switched and i think the reason why a lot of people are worrying about netflix is not really that they're taking over the the old home market but that they are competing with the cinema market in that they are releasing more and more big films themselves and that for, for a certain period of time these larger and larger films are not getting a cinema release at all or just very limited cinema releases of so those people like say Quentin Tarantino who's so mad about this uh, but these people who just love seeing things projected on a screen are just really upset that big films are not being projected on a screen and to an extent I, I guess I'm sympathetic but uh, uh, I don't think it's as big an issue as a lot of people are making it out to be. Well I don't know if I agree with you Chris I do think it's a big thing Uh, whether or not it's an issue is, is something else, but you know, Saul brought up the transition from sound to silence. But I think the, the obvious uh, comparison here is the arrival of TV. And when TV arrived in the 50s and 60s, obviously the, the cinema industry was really worried that uh, TV would kill them. It didn't, but as you mentioned, but TV was not able to produce films in the same way that uh, studios were. And so I do think there's something of a it's an existential change, I do think, 
the, the rise of streaming services. And I think the fear is that cinema becomes like theater, right? That it's a small thing that some people do in big cities, and but that it's not a mainstream art form that people get to enjoy everywhere, right? And it's something that's already been happening. I mean, you look at uh, cinema in the 30s, it was massively popular and very cheap, and with tickets prices rising. You, you have this happening. I mean, I, th I, th I do think it is a huge change, and I do understand why like traditional actors in the industry feel very threatened by streaming services. I, I, I don't think it's, it's exaggerated. Well, I, I think you bring up a relatively good point. And I think it's also interesting to just look at the technical changes too, because the whole like cinema fundamentally changed when TV was created, because before TV, they would be creating a lot of these uh, fairly generic content. I mean, at some point they were popping out like 100 plus Westerns a year. But like we talked about in the Western episode, uh, once TV came in and all of these Western shows came in, suddenly the Western movies started depleting. And a lot of these films that were not necessarily that visual impressive were disappearing and cinema started investing a lot more in color because obviously at first uh, color TVs didn't exist and they started investing in cinema scope and they started investing in the large action-packed adventures, essentially anything that couldn't be uh, shown properly on TV or uh, like the experiences that wouldn't be the same on TV. And I think that that's still happening today too with like bigger and bigger spectacles in, in cinemas too, with all of the massive superhero blockbusters, etc. Yeah, I think the TV comparison that Matthew brings up is a great point. And also the one which I mentioned earlier about the advent of home video, all of these things were seen as threats to the film industry, but I guess cinemas did keep on going. It led to the advent of CinemaScope and different widescreen presentations in the 1950s. I guess there was also a first influx of 3D. In 1980s, we've got that second influx of 3D, I guess, when like VHS and Betamax or whatever came out. And I guess recently, we've also had a whole big influx of 3D movies. Not so much the last couple of years, but definitely during the past decade, there have been lots and lots of 3D movies which I guess might be trying to replicate something that streaming services can't readily offer unless you have that, you know, 3D connected TV and everything. Yeah, yeah I do think 3D is very relevant to this comparison with the TV era because that's when 3D first happened, right? They already did that in, in the in 50s and 60s. But it seems to me that 3D is kind of dying out. I mean, it's hard to say now because it's been a year uh, with COVID, but even before, I think we had a lot fewer movies with 3Ds, it feels like. Uh, I mean, I guess the Avatar movies might, uh, Avatar sequels, if they ever happen, might be something that relaunches that, but it feels like it's losing steam, unlike, uh, as you mentioned, Chris, Cinemascope, which, which was this big thing which definitely took over the, the industry when TV happened. Yeah, I, I think 3D is a little bit like... Uh like augmented reality and virtual reality etc in that everybody always thinks it's going to be this massive thing whenever someone does something with it people just aren't as interested as they originally thought and then it's done a little while and it stays in the sidelines but then it kind of disappears and like you said like you had that massive influx of 3d films in the 50s then again in the 80s and no one really talks about them anymore and even even though the technology that started coming back with avatar uh, looked better avatar 
I was the only one that was done properly. Like for a while after that too, like they were only converting films that were shot regularly into 3D and like they didn't look particularly well, they didn't feel particularly well. So uh, I, I think it's just one of those things that's doomed to fail and doesn't never really adds that much more. Not to mention that people with glasses, or people with eye problems can't even see them properly. And lots of people are complaining about headaches. So it, it's giving very little or a lot of extra complications. I don't know that I agree that Avatar was the only one. I think you had, uh, yes, there were, there were a lot of conversions that were bad, but you know, you had films like Coraline, which used them for, for good things. I mean, even Godard did a 3D film. I think it was genuinely a, a big thing, right? Uh, generally something that stuck more. It was massive, yeah. In fact, I remember in Norway there was even a big outcry from the critic community because they were uh, hurting 2D. They were uh, reworking how cinema projections worked. And because of that, uh, non-3D productions were coming out darker and uh, slightly uh, lower quality than before. So but they literally redid all of the cinemas in Oslo, I think back in 2010 or 11. And uh, <laughs> so it just had this enormous, enormous impact on everything, even though it's now just kind of disappearing a little bit. But, but uh, enough about enough about uh, 3D, because we are talking Netflix. And I think Netflix also uh, poses a bigger threat than before, because with VHS uh, and even with DVD, the quality just couldn't compare like TVs didn't have the quality strength they have today uh, VHSs were incapable uh, of handling in it handling it like often like up until like the last decade or two uh, films were cropped like today that's not an issue like we get crisp quality TVs are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger home projection is becoming easier and easier and easier to do so I think that uh, cinemas are in trouble and I, I, I know that one of the main things that the critics of Netflix and the critics of these streaming platforms that are creating their own films and not showing them in cinemas what they are saying is that you are actually removing uh, cinema from the social sphere. So essentially we go from having people sitting in a room with other people reacting to their reactions and feeling that atmosphere and you know going out and talking about it afterwards uh, into people sitting in their isolated rooms um, consuming it alone and, and it's not just the visual experience, it's the collective experience and, and everything you get from that that's disappearing and I think it's especially uh, people who are slightly older who grew up with that experience and probably have felt a lot of awe through that that are decrying it and it might be something that you know with the increase of tv and with people going less and less to the cinema uh, slightly younger generations like us might not even have the exact same connection with because obviously when we grew up tv existed etc we wouldn't have to go to uh, the cinema to get that kick uh, so it was already declining a little bit when we came on the scene but yeah do you think that that collective experience uh, that, that whole thing disappearing is a negative. Well, I mean, if it if it disappears, yes, I don't think it will disappear. The question is, will it uh, just be much less available? And I do think that's a real risk. And I mean, streaming services are literally redefining what we call cinema, right? Because at least in France, we always define cinema as being projected to uh, an audience, in part because that allows us to say that we invented it, <laughs> because that's the Lumière, uh, you know, that, that allows us to say that the first film is, is French. Uh, whereas if you take another definition, which would be perhaps more in line with what's happening now, 
you would say that Edison invented it or something like that. So, I mean, it's certainly something I value personally, the, the social experience, but I feel like not many people do anymore. I hear people complaining all the time that going to the cinemas is a terrible experience, uh, that uh, people are talking, etc. I don't know. I, I, I don't personally encounter it that much. Uh, maybe because I try to avoid the big showings uh, at 9 p.m. or whatever. Yeah. But it, it feels like people are not that attached, aside from a small group. Uh, again, the theater comparison comes to mind. Uh, it feels like people are not that attached with, to the cinema experience anymore. Yeah, that's actually true. And, and I think uh, for a lot of people, going to pack screenings is a big negative, like you say, because there's more likelihood for people getting phone calls. There's more likelihood of, uh, you know, people just randomly chatting or talking, coming uh, in and out. Like when you go to the big screenings, there can be so many damn distractions that could uh, hurt uh, cinema screening, which, which again, I guess... When when you hear people like say Scorsese, for instance, be a little bit upset about this, or or other uh, people who grew up, you know, in before cell phones existed, I guess they might have a slightly different uh, different perspective or, or slightly different views on how the cinema experience is even meant to be. And that's not even accounting for COVID. I mean, I know COVID is not going to be there forever, and I know Seoul is living in this uh, utopia over over there in Australia, but. <laughs> It still still changes the way we perceive big crowds, I think, and for the long term. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, I know that with the older generation of people out there going to the cinema, something they've grown up with, something they've treasured. I enjoy going to the cinema myself. It's something really nice sitting there in front of a big screen. But I guess if it slowly dies out, I don't know how much of a bad thing it is because I think the increased availability that we get through streaming is a positive thing. I mean, the whole, I mean, it's got a bit better, but the whole idea of uh, films being released to cinemas doesn't quite work as well as you'd think because there's a lot of Australian distributors who are like, we are not going to release it here unless there's enough positive things coming from overseas. There's a lot of films that we don't get here until like six months later. It's not as bad as it used to be. But we still don't get films released at the same time in Australia as we do in America and sometimes other parts of the world. So the streaming services curve that a little bit. Once it's available to stream on Netflix, or it's available on Prime, or it's available on whatever service at the same time, so everyone around the world can watch it at the same time. And if you're looking at it from a philosophical point of view in terms of piracy, it's probably the best thing possible. The reason why piracy exists so badly is because we've got these distributors who've got their head up their ass going, we're not going to release this at the same time as everywhere else in the world. So the only way you can watch our film is by doing it illegally. So I think streaming does curve that quite well. Yeah, well, I think that uh, streaming and availability and the accessibility, because these services aren't yeah. that expensive, makes it so much easier. Uh, and l- like you also mentioned, uh, these streaming services are killing TV. I, I know that less and less younger people, uh, people under 40, people, especially people under 30, uh, don't even pay for cable anymore because they have a set amount of streaming services it's easier you can you can see anything you want whenever you want and, and obviously there's a collective experience in tv as well which all of us grew up with where you know everybody sees one episode of a show and then we wait for next week and everybody talks about it afterwards so there's always something being lost with innovations like this but the ease and accessibility and the, the ability to just watch 
anything you want the way you want it really is a massive step up and it's it's making people uh, choose it so to just go we've been talking about streaming in general a little bit now not just netflix so so on that note are you a member of any other streaming services uh, just just before i answer that question to, to get back to something you said uh, or son said about the collective experience we get with tv you still do get that to a certain extent, right? You because you have those big phenomenons. What right? when, when uh, Stranger Things was released, or recently the Queen's Gambit? I, I didn't watch it, but it seemed like oh, yes. everyone around me was talking about it. So you still do get that. You get that just a bit differently, and I agree that it's more kind of exploded, especially because, as you mentioned, to get back to your question, Netflix is not the only streaming service around. Uh, far from it. So to answer. I am not subscribed to anything else, but well, I am subscribed to something called Molotov, which is a French thing only, uh, which is just, it's not really a streaming service. It's just a way to access everything that airs on French TV easily mm. and to record it kind of, I guess it's like you record uh, <laughs> as you did before, but it's very convenient and it's actually pretty good for cinema because there are a lot of films that air on French TV. And I also do have access to Amazon Primes to someone I know who has a subscription, but I'm not subscribed myself. Okay, so the question when Chris originally put it out was how many services you're subscribed to now versus pre-pandemic. And I guess before COVID hit, the only streaming service I was using was Netflix, or the only paid one I was using was Netflix. In Australia, we've also got a service called SBS On Demand, it's got some ads in there, so it's not an ad-free service, but it works right on a broadband connection, doesn't work very well on ADSL. So I was using that, but the only one I was paying for was Netflix pre-pandemic. Since the pandemic's hit, I have joined three more streaming services, but not so much because of COVID-19, just because some of the films that I wanted to see were available on them. I was looking at the rest of the range and looked pretty good, and the price seemed all right also. So since uh, January last year, I've also joined Mubi, which has got an excellent selection of foreign and art house films. It was originally on a 30-day cycle, so you had 30 days in which to watch a film, which wasn't great because I'd sometimes be trying to cram in these Mubi films before they expired. But they've changed the format since then, and they've got a whole library of things which are constantly available to be able to watch. And other things do expire, but it's not as closed as it used to be. So I really like movie. I'm also subscribed to Amazon Prime, uh, only since December last year. But I really enjoyed Amazon Prime. It has a much better range than Netflix, uh, at least in terms of cinema. I don't know about in terms of TV, but in terms of film and stuff from around the world, there's always a lot more things available streaming on Prime than a streaming on Netflix, even though I don't really want to give Amazon, you know, a big boost because of everything <laughs> yeah. they did to IMDb and getting everything shut down there. You know, their streaming service does seem to be the best one around. And the other streaming service that I'm also paying for now is Shudder. Shudder is just for horror, thriller, and genre films, but they've got an excellent range. I think I registered sometime last year because, uh, actually, no, I think it was because of the movie Host. I'm really into these um, screen um, recording type films like the Unfriended series and Host does that with a Zoom conference. I was looking at some of the other things also in Shutter and they have a whole lot of films that are on the They Shoot Zombies canon that I've never been able to find otherwise 
And yeah, I just keep finding great things in there. It's been really good for the monthly challenge because I've got a great selection of different uh, non-English language horror films from around the world. So I saw some really good Belgian and Dutch films on Shudder last, last month. So yeah, Shudder's really good. Uh, although it doesn't work on my TV, I have to watch it through the iPad. Um, actually, the same thing goes for movie. Uh, but yeah, Amazon Prime, I can watch on my computer or and connect to the TV or I can watch on the iPad. Same goes for Netflix, but I would give uh, Prime probably, um, it's cheaper also, I'd probably say that's the best streaming service available at the moment. Uh, no, it takes a lot of your soul to uh, prop up uh, Amazon after what they did to IMDb. So. <laughs> <laughs> what they do in general, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, or yes, or what they do in general. So um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'll uh, ever join Amazon Prime, but you did give it a good sell there. Uh, so right now I'm actually only a member of uh, Netflix and I only got that after the pandemic even started. So I had zero before and then I went up to one. Though I would be interested in joining Mubi and if I were to join the third one, it would probably be Amazon Prime because uh, you hear some pretty good things about them. But I'm not in a great need to join them at present. You're missing some pretty great Amazon Prime originals if you're not a Prime member, unless you are. But like things like the Borat sequel, uh, I care a lot. The Rosamund Pike film that recently won our Golden Globe, that's an excellent film. And those are Amazon Prime originals. So I guess that's sort of part of why I kept up my Netflix membership beyond the original gift card that I was given. It's just you've got all these, you know, films, which I think we'll get to shortly from notable filmmakers coming out, yeah, yeah, yeah. which otherwise can't be legally accessed. Oh, really? So they don't actually... I haven't seen any of the films you mentioned, uh, but I've heard... Uh, and I wasn't particularly interested in the broad sequel, but suddenly everybody loves it, so maybe I'll try to see it after all. But so, so really, the Amazon Prime uh, movies aren't actually released on DVD, Blu-ray or anywhere else? Uh, well, not maybe. that I know of. Whoa. Maybe on DVD okay, after a while, but not all of them. Hmm. All right, all right. That was a surprise. Same with yeah. Netflix. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Very good thing I have Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Amazon Prime has done anything. I've been that excited that I had to join yet. Like, they didn't have Scorsese working there. They didn't have Bong working there. Maybe I missed some on Bake, but, uh, but it's, it's good to know, at least, that uh, they're, they're stepping up like that. They, they, do, they do have a better film selection overall than Netflix, I would say. I think Netflix is better for TV. Mm, yeah. um, but one thing that makes Netflix more appealing for film is if you use a VPN, speaking of things that may or may not be <laughs> good to talk about, but uh, you do get access to a lot more uh, with that. The other days I watched um, 24 Eyes, you know, the um, Japanese film from the, the 50s, yep. because it's on Netflix Japan and same with Amazon, same with any streaming service that has a different library, uh, depending on the country, that, that really gives you a lot of access. Yeah, I don't have a VPN, but this is probably going to get edited out anyway. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't got a VPN yet. I know I've heard good things about what you can do when you've got a VPN, but I don't know. I've never got around to it. Well, and speaking of big films that attract you to a streaming service, I recently was very disappointed to learn that uh, Small Axe, you know, the series of films by Steve McQueen, which sounds very yes. exciting to me. I don't know what streaming service they are in your country, it's but... Friends, it's on a new streaming service that just launched called Salto. Which sounds okay, but I mean, <laughs> you know, having to subscribe to a new service uh, always uh, oh, by yeah, I really want to see those. <laughs> they they haven't come out anywhere. I can. Uh, I know they're on the BBC one, but obviously I'm not in the UK, <laughs> which is really annoying. Yeah, over here, I just did a Google search. So we're on Foxtel Go. 
Uh, so if you've got a premium subscription to Foxtel, you can get them. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I'm not really big into uh, TV anyway, although I do like some of the stuff that Steve McQueen's done as a director. I mean, it does bring up, you say TV, yeah, <laughs> it does oh. bring up the fact that, the fact that streaming services mm. really, really put into question what is TV or not, right? I mean, yeah. most of the film critics yeah. do consider those to be movies. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's that, hard that, to that, argue. Yeah, I was just going to say, it, like, uh, one of those films topped, uh, I think you came in on t- first, second or third on the Sight and Sound poll as well. Yeah, Love Us Rock, I think, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a whole debate that maybe we don't want to get into, but certainly streaming services are a really big part of why that's a debate, right? Uh, it's really blowing blowing the lines a lot. Before, because you can just say, oh, it's released in a theater, then it's a movie. Because obviously, a lot of things that are movies are not released in theaters. Yeah, look, I think a lot of it comes down to structure and how is it structured? Is it actually set into episodes? Is it sort of like built up to climaxes? Um, and again, I guess that blurs a bit with miniseries also. So yeah, I guess it's an interesting thing to debate, but um, yeah, not for this podcast. Yeah, we don't have five hours ahead of us. <laughs> but, but, but then I agree. And I mean, I, 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 do, I do think, though, that talking about original mo- movies, I, I think if it is the case, for instance, as you're saying, that there's going to be more and more great Amazon original movies, I, I did look it up and I didn't see anything. I would be immediately drawn to there right now, but I'm sure there will be. And, uh, and I'm sure some of those that sold could probably sell to me right now and I would get excited. But if it did end up that there would be these massive movies by directors we love or actors we love coming out on Amazon, Netflix, BBC Player, if they, if they go global, I'm not sure if they are, uh, Hulu, and just a long list of independent services everywhere, it would perhaps be a bit of a problem to sign up to all of them at, at the same time. So I think at that point, you essentially just get an extreme cable situation. I mean, it is the same thing, really. It's just a different way of accessing it, but it's really the same thing as cable. Certainly, uh, originals are a big reason. Like Sol mentioned, um, the way that Netflix has gotten into Oscar movies. And for me, like Sol, I do follow Oscar season, a little less so this year, but still. And it is a big reason why I'm still subscribed to Netflix, right? To see, like, I haven't seen Trial of the, Trial of the Chicago 7 yet, but I know I, I will. You know, stuff like that. It's definitely a big argument for, for Netflix and for any streaming platform. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of the main reasons, uh, aside from the TV shows, that I use Netflix. They do have several big original movies by great directors that I want to see, and I can see them there right away. And and obviously, you won't get that chance in the cinema either. So uh, that's it's the only way to really see them for a while. Like you said, it, it's t- it could take years to get out on DVD, which is, is, is shocking. But wow, yeah. No, but not to mention... Not to mention stuff that's not a Netflix original, but Sol mentioned mm. Annihilation, and that did not come out in theaters here. It just came out directly on Netflix. I think what happened there was that uh, they had a mess up with the producers, and they wouldn't, didn't want to release it, so they released it through uh, Netflix everywhere. Was yeah, but no, no, not, not in the US. In the US, it oh, did yeah. come out in theaters. Okay, okay, but everywhere else, anyway. Yeah, I thought it was released in theaters for a week, and then um, Netflix bought up the rights to it, and, it, and that's what I heard at least, and it. Wasn't screened cinemas after that, so only had a very short cinema um, life. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's, 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 on a, it's on Netflix original, but it was it did become exclusive to them for a while. But I don't think it's exclusive any longer. I think it has been released on DVD and Blu-ray now. But it was like um, for uh, quite a while, like a couple of years or whatever. It was a Netflix exclusive. 
But let's, let's to continue that a little bit. And so if uh, if it is actually a case where you do have the opportunity to see a film at the cinema, it, it, it's one of those situations where a film opens on streaming and in cinema on the same day. And this does happen. And there's even been cinema set up for Netflix specifically in, in certain countries. So if you get that choice, a film opens same day, you can see it on your streaming service, or you can go to the cinema and watch it on the big screen. Uh, which do you actually choose? So it's very simple for me because it is literally impossible that I would get that choice. It's literally illegal in France <laughs> for a film to come out at the same time. We have this uh, release window. It's very strict. Uh, people are talking about changing it, but yeah, it's like, uh, I think minimum is six months, uh, which, yeah, it was kind of the source of the big controversy. I don't know if you remember at Cannes a few years ago. Oh, yes, I remember. Uh, right, when Ogja was, um, I think Ogja and another film, I don't remember, were, uh, you know, in the main slate and uh, theater owners were outraged. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's literally impossible. But for me, it would be very easy if that did happen eventually uh, because I have a um, subscription to a uh, cinema chain. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's the same. <laughs> it's, it's like a streaming service in real life. So I would obviously choose to go to the cinema. For me, it's very simple. Yeah, look, um, likewise, for me, it's not an option. It never has been. I don't know if we've got the same laws as what's going on in France, but there's never been a single film released on streaming services and in cinemas at the same time here. So some films, I can't remember, I went back a couple of years ago, people asked me, oh, did you go see it in cinema or did you stream it? I'm like, oh, well, you know, I streamed it because there was no option to see it in cinema. I don't know what film that might have been. Um, but yeah, it was one of those Netflix films and just like, yeah, like it wasn't an option. Uh, with Roma, the Alfonso Cuaron film, it did get shown a couple of times in an outdoor cinema as a special, you know, like once off like event type thing. But in terms of it being regularly shown, regular cinema screenings and streaming at the same time, yeah, the option just doesn't exist in Australia. In terms of whether I'd make that choice in a fantasy world to stream something or see it in the cinema, yeah, look, I hate to disappoint everyone, but it depends on the film. I know if when Tom listens to this podcast, he's going to get very annoyed about this because he's a big like, cinema-going <laughs> no, purist. No, no. But, but as I'd long as he has watch. his perfect conditions, he'll be fine, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, that's not going to happen with me, but um, uh, I'd rather watch a mediocre or bad film at home than in the cinema. If it's a good film or a great film, I'd always like to watch in the cinema every time. I'd prefer that. But if it's something which is mediocre or bad, I'd prefer to be watching it at home. Sometimes it's harder to tell, but, you know, then you get like some films like uh, One Night in Miami, which, oh, that's a prime one that Chris might be interested in as an Oscar buzz film. It's not very good, though. <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. With One Night in Miami, I'd already had low expectations for it, so I was very pleased to be able to stream it. And if I had the option for that one, I wouldn't have chosen to go to the cinema because I wasn't expecting it to be much good. And lo and behold, it wasn't much good. Some strong performances, some decent dialogue, but it's basically like a radio play. It's not very cinematic at all. I don't think I would have got very antsy watching it in cinemas. If I had the choice, though, something like I Care A Lot, which should be the prime film that Chris should be seeking out. All right, yeah, that's the one I've heard about. Yeah, yeah it's it's like it starts off as a comedy, but it comes more of a thriller. So it's a bit of a black comedy, it becomes more of a thriller. It's from the director of uh, The Disappearance of Alice Creed. 
It was a British thriller from about 10 years ago. Okay, I didn't never thought that. Yeah, mm. but um, anyway, for something like I care a lot, if I had the choice, I was expecting that to be good. I would have seen it in cinemas. Uh, yeah, look, uh, for me, it really depends on the quality of the film. But as I said before, it's in my fantasy world because reality <laughs> in Australia, like mm. France, you're not going to be able to watch a film in cinemas at the same time it's on a screaming device. It will be on one or the other. It won't be on both at the same time. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, I'm not even sure if that will up where I live now, but I mean, I, I would say that it also depends on the film. It does. Certain films, there's no point in actually paying that extra money for if you can see it in the home, if you think it might not be that good. But then again, if it's, it might not be that good, why watch it? But uh, <laughs> but uh, there's, there's definitely films that would be more excited about to see in the cinema. Though I do think that just for the really bad cinema selection here, I would probably have tried to go to see anything I was genuinely interested in at the cinema because it's just, it's just, essentially all you get is these big action films. A lot of them are, like, you'd think they were beat here just looking at the posters. And, and that's pretty much it. Like, occasionally around the Oscar bus season, you get something and something can stay a little while. But, like, even something like The Favorite, and I know I complained about it in a previous podcast, but it literally just came here for a week and it was gone. And I lost my opportunity to see it at the cinema. So, there's, <laughs> yeah, if something that was anywhere near decent amount of interest, I would always choose the cinema. Well, I'm going to carry the torch for film purism in, in Tom's absence uh, in this case, because for me, it really doesn't depend at all. To me, anything, even a bad film, I would rather be watching it in cinemas, because I would rather be forced to at least try and find something in it, as opposed to have the freedom to do something else, which is definitely what I do if about 45 minutes in, I'm not into a film. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. But in cinemas, because I, mean, I think it is a positive that you are a captive audience, literally. I mean, you can work mm. out, but... I don't. Uh, you know, people are free too, but I don't. Uh, so yeah, even a bad film, I would rather be watching in, in cinemas personally. Oh, this, I'm, I'm sorry, this, this is a horrible anecdote, but I remember we just shared yesterday, and I'm not sure if all of you saw it, but shared uh, on the on the forum of Hayao Miyazaki walking out of Kure Miyazaki's first film, like an hour in, and they're sitting down smoking. So it, it, even with your own son's film, it is technically a possibility. Yeah, that's that's rough. That is that is rough. As much as I love the the filmmaker, the person does not seem like uh, that good. <laughs> I mean, in his defense, Tales of Earthsea is the worst Ghibli film. But <laughs> I mean, come on! Yes. If you're going back to your, your child's school play, it's terrible. You still stay. I mean, <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But just just we all know that it's on the table. Walking out does happen, though. To be honest with you, I never have. I've never walked out of a cinema, and I don't think I ever would. I think, in, in fact, I almost never turn off a film. I think it's extremely few scenarios I've turned off a film. It's either if it's terrible quality, and I, I just realized that, oh, I, I can wait until uh, this actually gets a proper Blu-ray restoration, say something all this on the is on YouTube and I'm just hoping well, hopefully this will be released again. I'm not going to waste my time on this. I'm not going to get enjoyment of it. Uh, with the exception of that and a couple of films that were clearly awful, I probably just turned off, I've probably turned off less than 10 films in my life, to be honest with you, uh, unless it's a social situation. So that's not really something I do, but at the same time, never walked out, never would. And you're completely right, Matthew. I do think that as the cinema makes every film better and just that seeing it on the biggest screen, being that captive audience, like even if it's not a particularly good film, the experience does 
usually become at, at the very least bearable and moderately enjoyable just because of that uh, that experience i clarify something here uh i don't walk out of films in the cinema either and i don't stop watching films i don't give up on a film i mean i have had like a 20 minute rule in the past where if i go the first 20 minutes i go for the rest of the film but i really it really hasn't really been an issue for me lately in the last few years if i start watching a film i'll finish it but i won't necessarily finish it in one go if it's a bad film I'd much rather watch in a few chunks rather than have to be forced to sit there and endure it in one go in the cinema. <laughs> so for me, that's the difference between a good film and a bad film. Poor Tom. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, oh, look, it's just the way that you guys are talking about it. It's not came across that soul turns off all these films halfway through. No, no, no. I don't turn them off. I just, you know, pause them and I come back to them later when I'm in a better mood or when I... Feel like coming back to it um uh, i just so if it's a film that i'm not enjoying i'd rather not force myself to have to endure it because i'm in a cinema and there's no way of pausing it i would like to have that option of being able to take a break so that's just the difference for me about whether i see a good film or a bad film in cinemas where i can watch it at home where i've got that option of being able to pause and then come back to it a bit later to be clear so i don't think you're the villain of this podcast i'm not <laughs> any better when i when i watch a film and i don't like it again to me it's 30 i give it 30 minutes of full attention and then after that i sometimes try to start doing just something else i rarely pause it unless i have something to do but that doesn't have to do with the quality of the film but i just start doing something else and just paying attention to something else at the same time which is not great, but again, it's only if I'm, if I'm not into the film. As far as working out, I've only done it once. And it was, you know, uh, I was kind of hesitant to go in at first, uh, uh, to, in the first place. And it was a beautiful day outside and I had work to do. But I, I, I still started going. But after 20 minutes, it was the, um, the Maggie Smith film, The Woman in the Window, I think. It's not terrible, but after 15 minutes, I was like, okay, it's, it's not that interesting and I have stuff to do. So... <laughs> But yeah, oh, that was the only time. The lady in the van. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the lady in the van. Yeah, what oh, was the window? Bad. I don't know what that but is. Yeah, I guess what you mean. No, I, I, it's just wasn't that engaging. And no, I mean, I, I can join being a bad guy for Thomas. So it's just okay or even relatively good, but not very good. Like, I, I, I can do the same thing. Even if I don't do anything else, my attention will start to drop. Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> know. No proper workouts, but definitely other stuff. But uh, we've been talking a little bit, Altim, we've been saying that, in general, Netflix is better for TV. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, the, Qu the Queen's Gambit was actually a Netflix original, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Did you watch it, Chris? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, did, I did. I did. I mean, I'm sure something's going to be faulted in the writing, but it really felt like a extremely cinematic... Uh, work that you know it had it's not a biopic it's the book adaptation but it had that kind of uh, almost uh, Todd Hines classic era uh, film feeling with great acting beautiful cinematography and it managed to make chess really exciting to just everybody around the world no I, I don't hate chess I mean Norway loves chess in general but like everywhere in the world chess became massive because of this show so I think it's just it, it just shows how high 
the production values could go because these were proper, extremely proper production values, like the kind you would only see in a big budget studio film. So it, it, it's great that something like that could be made by Netflix as a TV series. This is completely off topic, but was chess really popular before in Norway before Magnus Carlsen came to the scene? Or? Um, probably not that much. I remember there was a big chess musical that we learned. <laughs> yes. Okay. About the chess musical in school. <laughs> okay. But, so, I mean, Magnus Carlsen didn't come from nowhere. There was a big subculture. But no, like after Magnus yeah. Carlsen like, uh, became the biggest player in the world, like everywhere, like when there's the chess tournaments, that's the top stories on all the newspapers, like the cover pictures and all of the home newspapers and like the top five stories and everything online. So yeah, chess, chess is big. The Yes, the Queen's Gambit became massive there too, like everywhere else. But, but yeah, chess is big in Norway. Just <laughs> thank you for that promotion of the Norwegian chess culture. <laughs> but yeah, uh, what is your favorite Netflix original? Um, well, my favorites, so I, I just did a, a ranking this morning. Uh, turns out I've seen 24 Netflix originals. I don't know if that's a lot or not a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but my favorite so far would be I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the Charlie Kaufman film. But uh, I mean, if we ever do, and we probably will do a 2020 episode at some point, I will definitely talk about it more. But yeah, it's a gorgeous film and uh, great acting by uh, Jesse Buckley and, and Jesse Clemens. Uh, and, but I would like to mention uh, the fact that Netflix does a lot of great documentaries. I think they've, they've been very influential in, in that field in particular, in documentaries. You, you really have an idea of what a Netflix documentary is. And my favorite out of those would be Shirkers, a documentary by Sandy Tan about her own attempt to make an indie film in the 90s in Singapore, and which kind of turns into a bit of a, not true crime exactly, but a bit of a mystery. I really recommend it. Okay, I, I didn't make a list of all the Netflix originals that I've seen. Um, off the top of my head, I'm thinking of Ending Things Now. The Charlie Kaufman one is a really great film. Uh, Marriage Story is an excellent film. Uh, beyond those ones, because they're pretty much the more obvious ones, a film that I'd like to give a shout-out to is one with a really long title. It's called I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. It's a horror film by Oz Perkins, who's a director who made this amazing film with Emma Roberts called February or The Black Coat's Daughter. And it's a very atmospheric film. The film's got a very low rating on IMDb. I think it's a four point something rating, but it's just because it's been marketed to the Netflix market and people are going there expecting a scary boom moment, strong horror film, which Oz Perkins doesn't do as a director. So. It's um, it's a really great atmospheric film, and I would definitely recommend it and be along among my favorite originals. Uh, beyond that, I guess Ballad of Buster Struggs was pretty good. And in the uh, chat, we're just talking about films that we are debating whether or not they're actually originals or not, or maybe not. Um, Okay, I've just been given this link to latest Netflix originals and movies. The first film listed is I. Yeah, sorry about that. It, well, the first one listed is I Care a Lot, which is a Prime original. It's not a Netflix original, so I don't know who made this list. Yeah, but um, uh, damn it. I mean, it's MDB, but it's Netflix actually. I think I Care a Lot is on Netflix here, so I don't know. Um, oh. I think Netflix just That's calls things. They call things Netflix originals that aren't. A shitty buggers. <laughs> Okay. They do that a lot with uh, French films, um, like Divine a few years ago. I mean, 
whatever they they, they straight up lie <laughs> about what's an original <laughs> or not. And I guess you can stretch the definition too. Like, yes, they're the first to have it, kind of because it's original on their service. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely yeah, the, yeah. the definition they're using. Yeah, I mean, if we were using the f- every definition possible, the one they're promoting as an original would probably be uncut gems. Like that's really strong, and I think uh, Sol will agree on that. Talking about it from the uh, 2019 episode, I mean, that's that's an ex- that's an exceptional work, but. Uh, that's not that was not actually produced by them, no. So did you say I'd agree or not agree? I said you would agree, no. So uh, no, I was one of the dissenters of Uncut Gems. Oh, you were one. Damn it! Yeah, you were the one dissenting voice. Uh, Never mind. Never mind. It was so disappointing after Good Time. Good Time is just an amazing mm. film, which I may or may not promote in the 2017 podcast. Yeah, just mm. such an amazing film, and then I got Uncut Gems. I'm like, wow, this is such a disappointment after Good Time had pumped me up so much. Okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. So I'm looking at the actual original now, and actually I don't think that many of them are great. Also, they're counting the other side of the wind as an original, which I guess they edited it, but like it's Orson Welles in the 70s, so no. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm guessing it would have to be films like The Irishman and Roma, the Sion Suno film, and Okja. I think actually Okja might be my favorite of these. Like they're, they're not actually, like they have a few films that I would relatively... Uh, great, like Sean Sona did Forest of Love, but that's not one of his best films, far from it. And obviously The Irishman, at least to me, is far from one of Scorsese's best films. So they get some great productions, but they're not the very best productions yet. Though I have still to see, I'm thinking of ending things. I'm really excited about it. I've just been too focused on uh, some of the challenges and the uh, the ICM Forum Film Festival that, uh, that I'm working on now as well. So I haven't prioritized it because it's so big and wouldn't qualify for the festival. But I'm definitely going to see that before our 2020 episode. One thing I'd mention about the Netflix original production is like they, they do a lot of different things. Like they do what you say, which is take big directors, convince big directors to work for them, like Scorsese and Quahon. And that's obviously a play for respectability, basically, for being seen as a legitimate actor. But they also, they find niches that are kind of abandoned, like uh, rom-coms. I mean, I, I'm not a big rom-com guy, so I haven't watched the um, Two Old Boys I Loved Before. Is that what it's called? You know, it, which was a big phenomenon uh, a I've few years ago. I've heard the name. I haven't seen it. I don't really watch rom-coms very often. <laughs> yeah, but whatever the case may be, they, they, I think that is a positive thing they do. Uh, I think the Orson Welles thing, I mean, that film, I don't know that it would have been released without them. I, I do think we have to give them some credit there. Oh, yes. I mean, it probably be released in some way at some point but i mean it's been in uh, disputes for 50 years almost or like actually not in disputes it's been uh it was incomplete from i think 72 and then obviously after wells died without finishing it it was in disputes ever since ever since the early 80s so (laughs) yeah i'm really happy they stepped in I, i don't know how big a role they played in all of that but i'm just so happy it was finally released and that it got the big audience it got as well, because obviously if you release uh, an Orson Welles film's recut 50 years after it's made, and you maybe if you get a few special cinema screenings, and then it would go straight to DVD. So yeah, what they did with that film was wonderful, definitely. Yeah, and they have been getting a little better, I think, about older films. Like, uh, at least on French Netflix recently, they added uh, Truffaut films and uh, Chabrol films more recently. I, I don't know, I, I feel like it's getting a little better because initially they really had very little in that department. Yeah, the, the older film selection is getting better on Netflix Australia also. 
they have a lot of kung fu films from the 80s early 90s which is a bit of a niche thing so they don't really come out on dvd here it's pretty interesting they've also got a few polish and egyptian classics which seem really random but they're on there so they do have a few interesting things but just the range that they've got compared to amazon prime is again it's nothing but it is building i guess yeah, that's true. It's good for Bollywood too. I mean, we, we talked about on Hadoon, uh, on the 2018 episode and that's on Netflix. And a lot, uh, I feel like a lot of the recent big Bollywood films do end up on there. So, so that's definitely a positive in terms of contemporary, um, like popular cinema from, from around the world. Not so much art house, but. Yes. It's a great service to just get accessible films from around the world. It's really good. I also wanted to just add into this that I, I never really looked specifically at what is a Netflix original, but I do know that there's a lot of exciting new films that are released quite quickly to Netflix. Like some things like uh, The Body Still Remembers when the world ro broke open and a lot of films released around the world that really striking and get that extra distribution through Netflix. I think that's great. And even if they don't necessarily produce all of these films, one of the really good things I think Netflix is doing is that they're in a similar position almost to A24. I don't want to compare them too much because I think A24 has a much greater output and the quality of the films are much greater. But they've actually brought back that mid-budget big film again that uh, everybody were complaining were disappearing from the cinemas with the advent of the superhero blockbusters and the blockbusters in general. Like, even Scorsese being able to make The Irishman, that was something he struggled with. So I, I think that Netflix is actually providing a service in getting those more serious mid-budget dramas and uh, crime films, uh, etc., out and uh, giving them a good audience. And I'm really happy about that, even though I think the best of that, it's hopefully still to come. Yeah, it was always funny to me to hear American critics complaining that mid-budget films don't exist anymore because it's basically the dominant form of cinema in France. <laughs> it's the reverse <laughs> because we don't have blockbusters. We have art house at mid-budget. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, they're definitely looking at stuff that's not exploited, especially Netflix. I feel like they're the only ones that really have a strategy in terms of... Um, producing original content, it doesn't seem... Like Amazon Prime, it feels a little haphazard what they release. It's like, oh, we have this opportunity, we do this, but I don't feel like they have a, a strong identity yet. And then you have stuff like Soul mentioned, like Shudder. I don't know if they produce films, but they might eventually, uh, and they, they have a very strong identity. And Hulu produce some films even, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically like, like, like Prime. They just do stuff that's kind of random. Sorry, so. Um, yes, yeah, shut up. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, just to clarify, Shudder do have originals. So the film that I signed up to watch on Shudder host a 50-minute horror film, which from a Zoom conference is a Shudder original. So they do have originals like that, and they've got a few others, but uh, they don't have a lot. Uh, they've probably got maybe comparable to Prime. They definitely don't have as many originals as Netflix has. Yeah, and I think, like we talked about earlier, like the big focus of Netflix is clearly the TV shows. Netflix is producing so many fairly big high production TV shows out there and probably lower production too. And just working in so many different countries. I mean, they're producing shows all around the world. Like uh, my wife and I are watching this Danish show, Rita, right now. It's not the greatest thing ever. It's like like the, the, the simple moral of the story, uh, kind of episodes, like almost from the Golden Girls era. But 
it, it's a perfectly good show. And the fact that Netflix is literally producing Japanese films, they're producing Spanish films, they're all over the world producing and releasing these films. It's it's really interesting as well to actually they're not just making American films or British films, they're all over the world. Yeah, and you've got this funny phenomenon that happen like uh, it's not a Netflix original, but are you guys aware of, um, I mean, I guess Chris probably is, of La Casa de Papel or um, what's the English name? Money Heist, I think it's named. It's this uh, Spanish TV show that, that that was picked up by Netflix. And it was a huge phenomenon, in, at least here and I think all over Europe. So, uh, oh, it, it has Chris, been massive, you know? yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen yeah. it yet, uh, but uh, yeah, it's massive. It's even advert everywhere. I mean, I've, see, I've seen the first episode. It's honestly not not great, but yeah, that's <laughs> I, I just think it's interesting <laughs> because because the US. I mean, it's like not known at all in the US, and I suspect mm. uh, I don't know about about you, Saul, but I suspect in Australia it probably is not a big thing either. Um, no, not as big as something like the Queen's Gambit, which everybody's talking about at work, and I'm like, I yeah. don't watch TV. Um, but uh, yeah, I was aware of Money Heist because when I did the uh, Spanish challenge last year when I hosted it, there were a few users who were listing um, their viewings of there in the challenge. So I am aware of it. Yeah, but yeah, it was really a massive thing here. And yeah, Netflix is producing a lot more uh, local things. In our case, I think it's because they are literally required to. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, they've gotten, in order to get funding and stuff, I mean, you have to produce a certain amount of, of French content. It's definitely for music. I think, I think they have been basically ordered to, but it's also a good strategy. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, and it's a good thing. I mean, you have, um, haven't watched it yet, but the, the German TV show Dark. I've heard good things about that. Anyway, it's generally a good thing, right? That that it's bringing some some money essentially into the the different um, scenes. Oh, and I was just going to say too, like you probably heard about the uh, Lupin is blowing up as well, like the French crime show everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. De- definitely. I was surprised. It was funny because when 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 it was released, I was reading everyone that I heard talking about the show that was American or. Mm. Well, not French, <laughs> yeah. was saying positive things. And all of the French people were like, eh, <laughs> it's fine, I guess. But it, it, maybe it's because Arsène Lupin is a, something we have um, a very strong connection to here, whereas apparently he's not that well-known overseas. No, probably not. I mean, Miyazaki even did uh, work on a TV show about, like, based on a similar thing, Arsène Lupin. So, I mean, I, I guess to an extent, but obviously not as much as in France. Yeah, definitely. But, like, here he's like Sherlock Holmes. I mean, it's like the same oh, level wow, of yeah, fame okay, or yeah. the famous it is. It's enough, a yeah. huge thing. Yeah, understood. Yeah, that's nowhere near that. Like, uh, there's also some of the French movies about Arsène Lupin, but it's, uh, yeah, I never realized it was that massive. So that, that's, in, that's interesting. Though this also took us a little bit off track. So Talking about all of these potentially great movies that's been made for Netflix and the fact that we're relatively optimistic, I think, about the future and what they're going to produce and how they're producing things now. Uh, it seems like we agree that they seem to have a relatively solid plan, even though they're apparently forced to make some of these things in other markets. <laughs> but let's ask this question then. Do you think it's wise of the bigger directors to work specifically with Netflix? Is there any negatives you think of, say, as Chris... Well, since he couldn't make it any other way, so I, I guess he had to. But is, is is there something negative with these big name directors going to uh, Netflix? I mean, the, uh, the obvious negative is that it's less likely that your film will get seen in theaters, and obviously that's you know for someone like Tarantino or Nolan, it's it's definitely a big deal, and I and I get that. But from what I understand, they do give at least established filmmakers like Scorsese, like people like that. 
they do get a lot more freedom when they're working with Netflix than with others. I do not think it's the case with people who are starting out. So I think Netflix is a studio like any other in the end. I mean, that's what they'll be in the end. They're out to make money. And right now, they are kind of auto-friendly. Who knows how long it will last? Yeah, I don't think there's any problem with filmmakers going to Netflix. I mean, other than maybe being shunned by some of their colleagues for doing it. <laughs> yeah, like Matthew said, um, gives a whole lot of uh, artistic freedom, especially if they're a bigger name director. And it might not get their films shown in cinemas that much, but it would definitely get them a much wider audience because people who might have been, you know, on the fence about whether or not they want to see films from that director... They've actually got the opportunity to watch it at home for free, which might get them then exploring the director's other work. So I don't think there's any drawbacks at all. Yeah, more or less true. Yeah, I mean, I think in the early days, we were really worried about production values. Like you know, we were, a lot of people were complaining about just how digital, for instance, uh, Buster Scruggs looked. But I think at this point, all of that sorted out. So I, aside from not being able to see it at the cinema or at least being less likely to see it at the cinema, there aren't really any negatives with this and it might even be a massive positive so uh, I, I think overall like we've been talking about even uh, asking whether or not netflix is hurting the industry if netflix and streaming in general is bad and uh, it doesn't really seem like there's anything too bad about it like we're all more or less agreeing that netflix is relatively good in almost in any way it seems i, I don't know I, I wouldn't say that again they're a company that's out to make money. They're not good or bad. They have positive and, and negative influences. Again, I, I do think that there is a real concern of the cinema experience being harder to access uh, than it was before, especially with COVID. I mean, we definitely see, and we probably have seen already, cinemas closing. It's, it's, and I mean, oh, it's yeah, not that fault, but, yeah. you know, it, it is a change that is going on that, that's not positive. But I think that there is sometimes from some people a tendency to treat Netflix as a devil, and that's just equally uh, simple-minded, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and I really don't think Netflix in itself it can even hurt cinemas that much. Like, obviously, if more and more massive films are only shown on Netflix, yes. But so far, that's not really the case. Like, all of the major blockbusters that cinemas have been focusing on have still been made for cinemas it's not like the next like i mean i guess due to the pandemic there's been there are some exceptions and there might be more but that's the pandemic specific issue yeah but the thing is are, are there pandemic specific issues i mean it kind of affects everything we haven't uh, actually i, I mean sorry, i think i think i do think that the fact that trolls 2 did so well as it did streaming could be an issue for cinema specifically in the future but personally i mean cinemas have it more or less destroyed already i mean it, i guess it depends country by country and i i, I assume france due to your cinema culture is doing much better than most other countries but like at least for me the access to films that by great filmmakers is very limited. Like it's almost exclusively blockbusters uh, being shown. And those films, at least I assume, will still be shown at the big screen simply because they're blockbusters and they draw those big amounts. Maybe Troll 2 will change that, but I, I just don't see it. So at least for the films I have access to, I, I really don't see a big change because the selection is so poor already. But I can see for... For someone where the selection was actually pretty good, like this would be a major problem. Like if cinemas were starting to shut down, which they are due to the pandemic, but if streaming was actually 
doing so many big original films and were turning people away from cinemas and you would suddenly not be able to see great these great films at the cinema anymore yeah that would be horrible and uh, I, I can see why it would be concerned in that case but fortunately or i guess unfortunately that's not really a concern for me at the moment because the selection is so bad already Technically, where I am, it's unlikely to be a concern because I'm near Paris. And even if a bunch of small theaters in Paris do close, which probably would happen, there will still be uh, probably an incredible selection for a long time. Um, I do think it's a bigger issue for people in the middle, right? For people in kind of big cities, but not as big and not as centered on culture as Paris is. But I, I do think it is... an issue and it's not so much to me about necessarily big blockbuster being um, released on streaming it's more people have a limited income that they can spend on culture in general and so the more streaming services you are subscribed to the less money you have to give to cinemas essentially so i do think there are i mean tv is also a factor but i do think the more streaming services exist and people are subscribed to it it can't be a good thing for small cinemas. I think multiplexes would be fine. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not too worried about it. One of the things that I suggested earlier on, I don't know if I mentioned the podcast already or not, was that Netflix and streaming services are forcing um, cinemas to evolve or the uh, film industry to evolve. So it might reach the point where cinemas no longer exist and i guess that would be a bit of a shame but it's also just the way that cinemas like evolving and changing i mean as we discussed earlier on you know changes for tv changes for when um things came out on home video they really rocked the way that films were made and yeah look cinema might come out of it still i guess i don't live too far away from the cbd here however um you know, i'm just trying to think in terms of like dvd rentals like you can't rent dvds any longer there's got there's one place left in perth in my city where you can rent dvds otherwise you can't rent them any longer so, you know that's disappeared and that's dried up because of streaming services and i guess the same thing might happen for to, to cinemas but then again the way people consuming films is different, and I don't know if that's a problem. It's just maybe moving with the times. I mean, I would miss not being able to go to the cinema, but there is benefits of being able to watch at home. And I guess, um, yeah, I guess I'm just going more with the flow of it. I was definitely very reactive towards it at first, but now that I've subscribed to four streaming services, yeah, I just see it as a way of life. It's probably going to be my future film consumption. I'm no longer really going to be going out to the cinema that often purchasing DVDs, buying more bookcases for them. I'm going to be streaming most stuff, and you know that's fine for me at the moment. It's what works. You've you've fully joined the dark side. Uh, what's the what's the CBD that you mentioned? Oh, sorry, the Central Business District. So even though I'm in oh, okay. Perth, I'm in a sub of Perth. So there's no. Oh, there's like one, but there's really like any cinemas that are close to me. Like if I want to see like an art house film or whatever, I have to drive, you know, like to one of the suburbs, which is really close to the city, which, you know, isn't too much of a problem. But I guess, you know, it's driving back and forth, finding parking, the expense of it, the expense of the parking compared to being upstream at home. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see if a cinema still exists in a few years' time. Oh, yeah, but, but by the way... Um... <laughs> Do you have in Australia or in, in Malta? Do you have subscription services for for cinemas for cinema, cinema chains, like where you pay your monthly fee? No, no, no. Yeah. no. 
I mean, I have a membership card at the Art House. Uh, yeah, yeah, Motor yeah. is kind of special because it's small, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, look, I, I'm the same as Chris. Um, there's no subscriptions you can get to cinemas here. Uh, I do have a membership card also for the local Art House chain here. And the other cinema chains also offer membership cards where you can get cheaper films if you've got a card and you pay yearly fee. But yeah, there's no sort of package where you can just watch unlimited right. films with a, with a uh, for like one single fee or whatever. And when people like in America are telling me about that on the IMD message boards, I'm like, how can this possibly exist? Because if it existed, I'd be at the movies all the time. But <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. describing my life pre-pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sounds lovely. I mean, it's it's been a thing for 20 years here, so it was funny to see it arrive in America and be this big thing. Uh, I do think it's a way for for big chains, at least, to to fight off streaming services. It's basically becoming their own streaming services, except you know, real life. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I mean, I've been going to screenings which are empty. I mean, this is why f- uh, films are so. Sh- um, like they do cheaper prices during the day, for instance. I mean, I remember seeing, uh, okay, it's Hanneke, but Hanneke actually got to the cinema here and I went to see it uh, after work and I was the only person in the cinema. Uh, it's the only time. Oh, wow. I <laughs> and uh, there's been situations like that, but for instance, I've been seeing things uh, relatively during the day, even in relatively big films, and there's been few people because everybody goes, you know, at 8, 9, 10. So is, is this pass for just every time or is it uh, specific times? It's, it- yeah, it's it's for every time. It's... Oh wow, yeah. But at the very least, I could see cinemas just throwing that in for uh, the day when they have empty seats, anyways. And then all of the uh, older people, granted, at least in Malta, get cheaper tickets, but they could just go there uh, every day for like uh, 20, 30 euros, 50 euros a month or something. That would have been fantastic. I mean, yeah. Honestly, I don't know why everyone isn't doing this, to be honest. Yeah. Because you look at the attendance uh, numbers, the, t- the tickets mm-hmm. sold in France, and they're they're going pretty well. I mean, again, pandemic is going to change things, but yeah, at least before the pandemic, they were going fine. So yeah, it's weird to me that this hasn't become the case everywhere. And with how expensive ticket prices can be now, it's pretty easy to be anyway. I'm not going to. <laughs> no, but I think this, this is lovely because one of one of my main qu- questions, and I, th- I think we were we were wanted to speak about uh, the awards first, then whether or not uh, Netflix films should actually qualify for awards. So we can do that little diversion. But yeah, after that, we will actually look at the impact Netflix will have on the industry in the future. We'll throw out some speculations, and I think uh, what you just said, Matthew. Uh, could actually fix almost any issue that we might be discussing in that section. But just before we get there, and this is just such a minor note for, for some people, but a big note for others. So should Netflix films be allowed to participate in festivals and win awards at big award ceremonies? Or, or should they be actually be excluded from them? My original stance on this was that they shouldn't be allowed to compete and win for Oscars, but I guess that was coming before I had a Netflix membership, and I was very annoyed at the fact that all these films could potentially be winning awards, and I have no way of accessing it without actually subscribing to the streaming service, and I guess that's one of the things which put me off Netflix in the first place and why I didn't get it when it first everybody else was getting one. I'm like, I just don't agree with this business model that I have got no chance of seeing this film legally unless I have your streaming service. So 
I, I was really against that, but I guess now that I've been a Netflix member, I've been using these gift cards to keep my membership active or whatever for the last couple of years. Now I've got Amazon Prime and Shutter and Movie, and I'm using other um, services. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I like the fact that I can, you know, watch films like One Night in Miami. And even though it's going to, even though it's not a really great film, I can sort of like watch it at home or whatever. And because it's going to like get a few nominations, that's kind of nice being able to watch films like that. But yeah, I was definitely uh, very big against it. Just, um, I don't know, morally or ethically, just the whole business model web really didn't appeal to me. I thought, you know, it's just like sucks, whatever. You're putting this on this one service, people can't watch unless they've got that service. No, that doesn't count the same as being able to release something where everybody can see it. But my attitude of that has changed over the last couple of years. I mean, I think this debate is basically over. <laughs> it was a big thing a few years ago, but now there's really no discussion about it. They are eligible and it would be kind of ridiculous if they weren't, especially now with the pandemic, but even before. They just released so many films. I mean, it would be so strange to exclude them. And even what happened at Cannes is, is I think, kind of a, will be seen as an anomaly, I think. I actually don't remember now if they are eligible. But anyway, in the future, I think it will just not be a question. Um, yeah, look, I think it depends how the pandemic changes things because the rule for the Oscars had always been that it needed to be uh, shown in an American theatre or in one of the cities in America, it had been shown for seven days, for a week, during that calendar year to be eligible for the Oscars. And so you had a whole lot of Netflix films which were being shown in cinemas just for that seven days, so they could be eligible, then they are being pulled. And then we had, like, the rule thing where it, it needed to be screened for seven days before it became available in streaming services for, like, things like Mandy, which was going to get Johan Johansson uh, a posthumous um, Oscar nomination for his music score, was actually deemed ineligible because they started streaming it too early. It needed to be in cinemas for a complete seven days before it became available in streaming services. So that was a whole big issue. But, of course, the, the pandemic has changed things. They adjusted the rules for the 2021 Oscars, sorry, the, for the 2021 Oscars. They've said, you know, for the Oscars this year, as long as it was intended to be released in cinemas, it can be eligible. So you've got all these filmmakers who are saying, yeah, we intended to release to cinemas, it's going to be eligible. I think that might teach everything change, even with everybody getting vaccinated, as like, and it's going to happen this year, and the pandemic assumably being over by the time the next Oscars got roll around. I think this will change things, and I think it might break the Oscars rule of it needing to be shown in theatres. I'm not sure, but I think it is going to change things going forward, which can probably only be a good thing. I mean, even if it, even if it doesn't, being shown for 10 days in Los Angeles is, is like, I mean, it's a token release, right? It doesn't really change the nature of the film. It's still a Netflix film or a streaming film, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't help anybody else from foreseeing the, while you guys were talking, I actually did look up, uh, the con rule because I remember them being banned. And yeah, they're, they're actually still not eligible. Obviously, they didn't revisit that because of the pandemic, but yeah, from, um, 2019, uh, they have been, uh, they're not eligible. Again, I think it's not that hard to get around it, though. I think it was more of a principal thing when the whole debate with Ogja happened, but it's not that hard for Netflix to release it in, like, Paris and, like, two other cities in France and, and be eligible for Cannes. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it changes the the, the scope of it a bit, but yes. I mean, I, th- I do actually think that despite this debate technically being over in terms of the Oscars, Sol did make a great point I hadn't really considered, which is that it's a little bit like this blackmail proposition where, you know, you ha- like this film might win or be nominated, and you know how so many of us like checking off lists. Uh, you can't make <laughs> the, final, the final check unless you pay extra money for this full service rather than just paying for seeing it at the cinema. <laughs> I, I, there was actually a, a tweet I saw of someone uh, counting up the money you would have to spend to see all the nominees this year as opposed to last year. And it was actually higher. It was actually you had to spend more money to see all the nominees they counted up the multiple streaming services and the fact that a lot of them you have to rent online as opposed to the price of a ticket theater and it was actually slightly more expensive. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's really frustrating. Um, <laughs> really frustrating. Like it's actually just more expensive than, yeah. Okay. If, even though we're not seeing it on the big screen. Um, really frustrating. That's a pandemic specific issue though. So I guess we can't really fault uh, any of the streaming services properly for that, especially if it's this, this odd was this one of the Disney films? Because I know they had a massive thing about the uh, massive problem with that. Oh, well, I guess Disney, we haven't talked about Disney Plus, that's true, but I guess Disney Plus, there was the whole Mulan thing where you had to pay extra, like $30 yeah, exactly. or something. I think, I think that did not work out so well for them because they didn't do it for Soul. Uh, Soul was just available. Yeah, they just gave up. It didn't work. Yes, I'm guessing we won't see too much of that. I'm hoping, anyway. Uh, but uh, in terms of price, definitely the streaming services, we mentioned cable earlier. I mean, that's what it is. It's not going to be cheaper than, than going to theaters. Just, I mean, it's probably not, not necessarily going to be that much more expensive, but I don't think it's, it can be cheaper. Well, no, exactly. I and mean, it's also because it's a completely different service because you're not renting the, like, you talked about renting, but like, if you sign up for that service, you sign up for every film and every series they have. Like, obviously, it's going to be a little bit, at least a little bit more than seeing one film at the cinema. Yeah, yeah the renting was, as you mentioned, a pandemic specific thing because a lot of films that were not attached to streaming services came out in VOD, right? So, yeah, it, it, it is a pandemic specific thing to, to some extent. Anyway, anyways, from my part, in terms of eligibility, um, I can see the concerns in terms of major award ceremonies like the Oscars, but I always want the, those to be as representative of the quality a year has as possible. So I'm just going to throw myself in on the bandwagon and say that Netflix films should definitely be eligible. And uh, as we also said, that debate is over. So we're stomping into old ground and we're agreeing with the victor. But, so I'm not sure how helpful that is, but uh, at least rehash the debate a little bit. Have you guys... Uh, participated in any online film festival aside from ICM FFF, which is a bit special? Um, uh, no, I haven't participated in any online festivals. Uh, I think a lot of them aren't actually available in Australia or without a VPN, unless that part gets edited out, they're not available in Australia. So, no, I haven't. Yeah, same for me. I mean, if I was in France, uh, probably there must be something good going on there. Uh, I know that I've heard I mean, like. I've heard that some are across all li- lines and limits, which is great, but usually I hear about these too late, so somehow I don't have a good enough news filter for when one of these big ones uh, with major titles I'm really excited about will actually uh, drop online. But often with these festivals, they don't have the films I'm overly interested in either. So it's a, like, if Come ever went online, definitely. I mean, if uh, <laughs> if Ber- the Berlinale went online, definitely. So there, there's a lot of these bigger ones I would jump on, but. Uh, so far, no. Well, I think Be- Berlin is going on right now. 
And I think it's mostly taking place online. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I'm not a festival goer, so I, I haven't looked into it much, but uh, yeah. Berlin's over. They've already named the uh, best film. It recently became official like a few hours ago on iCheck Movies. Okay, but I think part of it was online. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, see here. No, yeah, the, the majority of the... Damn it, this is what I talk about when I don't uh, when I don't keep up to date <laughs> on this stuff. It was online. This is horrible. I would definitely like the new Radu Yudu film was there for bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what won. That's what won the the, the Golden Bear. Oh, that's fantastic! I'm really happy about this now. Say, so, yeah, I was out with Lupin Alf. I learned something new on air, even though obviously this will be edited a long time after this. Everyone will know. But thank you for this wonderful update of <laughs> what just happened. <laughs> But anyway, I, I do think it's something that I should look into. I, uh, like participating in a film festival, especially when you have—I mean, Berlin is probably it's probably a one-time thing. But I suspect smaller festivals might might uh, still do it, and, and that's definitely an interesting prospect. Yeah, I mean, I, I participated in the Malta in the Valletta uh, festival here in Malta, which is Valletta is the capital. There's usually not the best films, but they've been getting better before the pandemic. Like, it, I was actually working overtime the full week last time it was. I was so frustrated, but then they literally got Bella Tar down here to have a to speak, and they got uh, they got a few big films. So I'm really hopeful that once the pandemic is over, that continues, and I'll keep participating. And then you also have the social element, which <laughs> yeah, which obviously you won't have. With, the, with what I was. Yeah, yeah of course, with online ones, you don't have it, but there with the real one, even greater because it's such a big event and it's much more likely to go with a lot of other people and it's much more likely to start up discussions afterwards. So it's, it's, a, it's a great thing to happen and something that clearly can't happen with streaming. Be that uh, Netflix, be that online festivals, unless they have something specific. Now, obviously, ICMFF was great because we had that social element. And I invite all of our listeners to join us for the next ICMFF at the end of uh, this year as well. But just to close down uh, this episode with our final, final hot topic, where we're just going to go through all of our speculations. Like, How do you guys think that uh, Netflix and the other streaming services like Amazon Prime will affect the industry going forward, say, five, ten years? Will we see something drastic happen? Well, it's, it's basically what we've been talking about all this time, right? Uh, it's hard to say now, as we are still in the pandemic. Uh, I think a lot depends on what happens when uh, cinemas fully reopen, how well they do. Uh, it's very difficult to say, but I do think streaming is going to keep big, getting bigger. And I think, especially Netflix, is not going to be the only one releasing that many movies. Uh, like right now, Amazon Prime and, and others, they're releasing some things. But uh, I think uh, we're going to see a lot more people t- trying to challenge uh, Netflix for that position. And uh, yeah, I suspect just a higher proportion of films than before will be produced directly for streaming. So I'm trying to look into my crystal ball at the moment. And <laughs> I think a lot of it depends on what cinemas do themselves. Like, over here, we've had, like, Gold Class, which is the uh, special, you know, seats, and you get, like, free popcorn, whatever, during the film, and they've been dropping down in price because I guess that's an extra thing offering, which streaming services can't offer. So I think cinemas will need to be more creative with ways to attract crowds in. Otherwise, I do see it as possible to see most of them shutting down. I don't know if I'll see all of them shutting down. I don't think any have shut down yet, but um, yeah, streaming is on the rise. 
And I think, you know, cinema needs to evolve to keep being current. Otherwise, I think it will die out. But I guess we'll see what happens. It's hard to predict what will happen in five or ten years. I mean, going back ten years ago, streaming really wasn't even a thing over here. And so, yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, my, my personal uh, guess is that there will be a massive change in the TV industry, actually, affected far more than cinemas and i'm really expecting that like we already seen with the bbc that more and more of uh, the big tv channels will turn into streaming services as well and we're essentially going to have more streaming competition that way i think we see that happening already and i think that within 10 years if the trend continues and if netflix amazon prime keep rising that's what we'll have like all tv will start dying off not sure how fast or it might be the case that like to keep the TV channels and the streaming service at the same time. But I do think that uh, most of the big TV channels around the world will have to adapt for that world. Uh, I don't think cinemas, at least in my country, uh, will be affected too much due to how they run right now. I really hope there's not a big change in France and countries like that, uh, where, where they actually have a really prosperous, great cinema culture. That would be awful for that to happen. I, I do kind of have a semi-hope that there will be more digital festivals simply because getting that access directly at home would be phenomenal. Though, uh, let's see about that. That's more of a pandemic thing that maybe they realized, oh, we can make more money that way. Or, hey, this was a greater experience. Something we can see with that. But I don't think that's streaming specific. And finally, I do think that more and more great directors and more and more great films will be made by these streaming uh, services. I think what Matthias said earlier, that they're probably going to drop the authors more later on. It might be quite true, but I st still think they think would end up being a solid studio unless something changes or other streaming services will be and that we will get more great films that way. So I don't really see any major negatives in the future, though I, like Matthias, I would be see some slight problems with the cinemas. Oh, but on the topic of cinemas, I really hope that we all adapt the system they have in France and apparently the US because that would be wonderful. I could, like, even though the cinema selection here is quite poor, uh, I would probably use that. It would be fantastic just to be able to do that. So let's hope we can all learn from France. I do think other European countries have it, to, to be fair. Fair enough, so we're just lagging behind. But if anyone, any uh, big studio chain owners in Australia or in Malta, I guess, are, are listening to this, please do adapt this. It will save you from the onslaught of Netflix, Amazon Prime, and the other streaming services. You, well, you probably didn't hear it here first, but uh, we are pushing that message out. So on that fairly positive note of the future with innovation, ahead. Thank you so much for listening and join us again soon. You have been listening to Talking Images, the official podcast of icmforum.com.